0: And I can see the ground now. I'm waiting to All right, legends. Welcome back, dude, to yet another episode of Get Around Me. What a time it is to be alive, truly. Missions before treats this week on the pod with a bit of administration off the rip. So I have changed the question on Spotify this week for this episode. So, if you're a Spotify user, feel free to go and answer the question. Send me some bants. I don't want to give it away here on the episode. Ruin the mystique, as it were. But in previous weeks gone by, Spotify has just set the default question on each episode. And that is, what did you think of this episode? Which is a very broad and wide-opened way to open yourself up to some of the more personal attacks We've ever seen on the east coast of Australia, okay? Because many people answering that question didn't think much of it, is what I found out. A lot of good, there's some good answers in there as well. I don't want to get negative straight away here, but it wasn't the funnest question in the world, and I did begin to resent that feature on the Spotify app. But never fear, because I have learned how to change the question to suit my own agenda. Just as Sky News changed the very nature of the referendum a couple weeks ago. I have also shaped my own destiny. So if you're a Spotify user, feel free to get into that. And I will be reading out some of the funnier answers on next week's episode. So feel free to go absolutely nuts, attack my personality, my integrity, my looks, whatever gets you out of bed in the morning, feel free. And then also last week, I was on my mate Chloe Madrin's uh, podcast It's called the Friend Request Podcast. So that's just another podcast I was on, if that's what you're into. Uh, so check that out. And also, one last bit of admin. I'd like to just... <laughs> I'd like to issue a retraction for my Saturday night Instagram story. I've been pretty good the last couple of months. I think we would all agree. No slip-ups on the Instagram story for at least a couple of months, maybe dating back to my Central America holiday. Macca had several Instagram story slip-ups on the holiday. Lucky for him, uh, every time he slip slips up, it's posting a photo of me. So I wish my slip-ups could drag a friend through the mud the way he does to me each and every time we leave the house. But unfortunately, my mistakes are my own. And on Saturday night, I posted a screenshot of like my notes app Saying when of. (laughs) I'm so embarrassed. I posted like a screenshot of my Notes app saying that if Pereira wins the light heavyweight title in a couple of weeks in the UFC, then make Adesanya Pereira for the light heavyweight strap at UFC 300. So just some hard hitting UFC analysis coming from me at midnight on a Saturday night. Me and the boys have been talking about UFC all night aggressively in the backyard before the Volkanovski fight Sunday morning, still with hope in our eyes, love in our hearts, etc. And we will talk about the Volk later, of course. But yeah, I would just like to retract that Instagram story and I'm going to have to amend my rules for self-care on Instagram on the weekends. My previous rule was anytime I've had more than six beers, if I am talking to the camera on Instagram, please message me saying to delete my account forever but now also if you see me post a screenshot of the notes app like sharing my thoughts at saturday night anytime after like 7 pm just call my mum directly and have her send help because i'm out of my mind so just wanted to get in front of that before any sort of fallout whatsoever and speaking of fallout i'm very excited to say that on today's episode just in the nick of time as well after we just missed the volkanovsky headline the previous week when it was announced he will be fighting islam makachev on 10 days notice or whatever what an exciting time that was looking back and i just missed it on the episode but i'm thankful to say that a mere 11 hours ago michael clark has given his first public interview since the news incident and i'll be discussing that at great length later in today's podcast. So very exciting stuff all around, some good, some bad, some in between. And don't forget to answer that Spotify question if you're on that app. I think, is it fair to say that most people use Spotify these days? I'm a huge Spotify user. It's the only monthly subscription that comes up on my bank account that doesn't immediately elicit groans from yours truly. Spotify is the only monthly subscription I have where I'm proud to have it because I use it every day. And I love Spotify wrapped. Whereas like, I got a notification yesterday for Disney Plus and I've finished with Star Wars. Disney Plus is just sitting there on the shelf. I got two episodes of The Bear to go. And then it's like, what are we doing here? We're really just throwing money down a toilet. I had to get a KO subscription the other day because Adsy kicked me off his. I've got a subscription to some app that does captions for your... Videos, it's about $75 a month. And the monthly subscription thing is just getting completely out of control. At the moment, I've got KO, Binge, Disney And I want to say something else. No, I got rid of Paramount Plus. I don't know why. I know I'm not a rich man. But when you present financial opportunities to me in the form of a monthly subscription, I can't help but get involved. And the thing is, these guys with this new subscription model... They've got you by the balls because they, they have things that you need. And they've got about a million things on KO, a million things on Disney+. Plus, and I only want to see one or two of them. But the one or two I want to see are a, the UFC or a boxing fight or the cricket, the World Cup. I must see them. And KO knows this. I don't give a shit about AFL 360 and what that bald guy's harping on about. But KO doesn't care, and neither does Disney+. Plus. I watch eight episodes of Ahsoka. I'm trapped for life, and it's a fucking nightmare, dude. But anyway, I don't want to spiral out too early in today's episode. So up first, what's been happening the last week, straight into a few yarns. I was back on Triple J on Friday. Hack, okay? The news that stops the nation, the news program where we get to the bottom Of Australia's issues on Triple J the national radio platform we all know and love again when I got the email from Triple J I thought please either be breakfast or me doing like a version please either say Bill you're on for breakfast next year three-year contract or failing that we've got you doing an indie rock like a version of steer by Missy Higgins I'm in for either of those okay send location for either of those opportunities and i will line bike down to the studio which is not far from my house but i'm back on australia's number one youth news program once again this time the topics were a lot friendlier to billy darcy i'll say that the first time i went on we were discussing the economic implications of alan joyce's resignation from qantas and i personally was out of my depth in what i still consider to be one of the wildest booking errors In national radio history I am certain gun to my head that they meant to book Fergus Neal for that one I am certain they meant to book Fergus Neal he's got fantastic volume in his hair just like me a solo podcast just like me he's a bloody larrikin just like me but he also knows about some stuff not like me okay so that was a lot of fun the first time me and Eliza from News Corp chopping it up she's providing the stats I'm providing the banter. She's providing insight. I said, Alan Joyce looks like the Monopoly man. It's all good stuff. So that was a lot of fun. But this time, I was on with Channel 9 sports presenter Marley Silver. And the topics were used cars, celebrity biographies, and Nepo babies. Okay? Now, thank the Lord himself. I am the man for these topics. Used cars... Um, I literally rode the Mazda Metro into the ground like a knight riding his favorite horse. Unbelievable, okay? Celebrity biographies, the only books I've ever finished in my life. Read Mike Hussey's book 75 times. We'll never stop reading it. And Nepo Babies, I mean, I've been getting mugged off by the industry for about seven years. So who would you rather have in the hot seat? <clears throat> Excuse me. Who would you rather have in the hot seat to dissect these issues that are not actually issues at all. Billy Darcy. That's right. So it was a lot of fun. There was one thing where I was like, this will be kind of interesting because I I knew Marley was a Nepo baby herself. She's a rugby league reporter whose dad was a famous rugby league player. So I thought this will be interesting because I don't think that Triple J knows that she's a Nepo baby because why would you have a Nepo baby on to discuss... If Nepo, the topic was should Nepo babies be getting hate or like should we be leaving them alone? And I'm like, why would you have a Nepo baby on to discuss how much we should hate Nepo babies? So I thought this will be interesting if anyone addresses this because if Dave hasn't addressed it and Marley hasn't addressed it, I'll definitely be addressing it myself. But of course, it was addressed immediately and Marley was really funny about it. And it was all good bloody fun. So. Absolutely loved it. Second time on Triple J. So fun. Dude, had a beer on air. I don't know if we can... I don't know if I can say this out loud. I don't want to accidentally get the radio program defunded. You know, fund the ABC. They do the Lord's work. But I'm very happy to disclose some behind-the-scenes information that I had one mid-strength beer while on air on Triple J. So, if you thought I was cutting a little bit loose... I'm going to have to point the finger at the 0.7 standard drinks I consumed during the program. But what a time it was. And then I hopped on the train, went down a Bondi, and bombed my fucking face off. So great times, great classic hits, and it's all bloody happening. Anyway, so what else happened last week? I was offered an extremely unbelievable opportunity last week. A mate of mine who's a comedian said, Bill, I got offered this MC gig at the Women's Big Bash, but I'm not right for it. You are. Do you mind if I pass your name on to whatever booking agent was doing it? I said, mate, you're a true friend and I will I will kill for you. If you, ever, if you ever need that from me, I will spill blood in your name, brother. I appreciate this. So the gig was MC at the Women's Big Bash and the booking agent said, just hyping the crowd up, and maybe some player interviews. I repeat, maybe some player interviews. Yeah. It was the Sixers versus the Stars, so already my head's spinning with some of the hot, hot player interviews. I might be able to get my hands on. I'm writing jokes for Alyssa Healy. I can't contain myself. Now, what it turned out to be was not MCing the women's big bash per se, which I think really, with the power of hindsight, you guys are just hearing this for the first time. You're thinking, of course, Bill. Why would they just get you to MC the Women's Big Bash on a moment's notice? They've got people that do that. Well, some of us dare to dream, okay? And obviously, it was too good to be true. It turned out I was actually MCing the KFC Chill Out Zone on the hill at North Sydney Oval. The game started at 7.40, and I was to arrive at 5 p.m. for some reason. So, not exactly what I was hoping for. I did get a full CA media accreditation, which is pretty good for the summer ahead. If you see me pop up on the desk with Mike Hussey and the boys on KO and you're thinking Bill's not supposed to be there, that's because I've let my lanyard do the talking. But really, it was a bit of a letdown as far as what I thought I was getting into. Turns out I was just MCing the KFC chill-out zone and trying to get people to play the bucket game and win some free KFC. It was The whole thing was actually extremely degrading. Now I look back on it. I was wearing a Zinger bucket hat and a Zinger T-shirt. <laughs> And they started the activation, quote marks, at 6.40, even though, like I said, the game started at 7.40. And by the way, Women's Big Bash, when it's daylight savings and you're trying to get children to come to a game at North Sydney Oval on a Thursday night, start the game at 6 p.m. I don't know how that's not the most obvious thing you've ever seen in your life. Like by 8.30, four-year-olds are just hitting the deck, dude. They're just blacking out. They've never been up this, old, this late in their life. So whatever, dude. Not the first time I've been put in a humiliating situation with a microphone as my only form of self-defense. So I got on the offensive. I started hyping up the Zinger rap or whatever they were talking about. The microphone breaks 37 seconds in. I'm not even joking. It couldn't break quick enough. Like it almost exploded as soon as I picked it up. It was a Bluetooth mic. What is going on with Bluetooth in 2023? It's like we invented it in 2006 and just put the tools down. I remember Bluetooth 2.0 came out at one point. We should be up to like Bluetooth 23.0. Somebody work on Bluetooth. It's a fucking nightmare. Bluetooth mics are the devil. They cut in and out. I remember one time I was doing a gig, a comedy gig, and the Bluetooth mic cut out. I'm standing there, right, completely still holding the mic, just talking. You guys know know my stand-up comedy. I'm dissecting the issues, probably talking about the last election or something. You know how hard I hit on stage, guys. Everyone knows it. And I'm standing there completely still, talking into it, holding it with one hand, completely still. Okay? The mic is cutting in and out, and the booker says, you're not holding it right. And it's like the first seven minutes, I was holding it the exact same way. And it worked perfectly. i changed change nothing and it starts cutting in and out. And he's like, you got to hold it at a 45 degree angle. It's like, just get me a cabled microphone, dude. To all gigs ever. I don't care if I'm at a Woolies MC in the fucking Coles chill out zone or whatever god-awful humiliating situations I put myself in in the future to earn $320 on a Thursday night. Just give me a fucking cable, lads, okay? So the mic cuts out and they're like, do you mind just doing it without the microphone? I go... You know, (laughs) I mean, yes, (laughs) I do mind. Oh my God. I think this situation, so you've got sort of a bottom level of what you're willing to do, like what amount of money it will take you to do something humiliating because you get the weirdest opportunities as a comedian. Like when I dressed up as a gorilla at that pub a few a few months ago, to earn three hundred dollars at that bucks party, three hundred dollars has been my threshold. I think it's going to have to go up to five hundred. If you want me to MC your twenty first or freaking, I don't know. I don't even know what people want me to do. But no one wants me to do stand up comedy in front of a crowd that is there to see stand up comedy. That's all I know. They want to fly me out to do twenty minutes of stand up at a rural race day in some place in Queensland where it's going to be me and Warwick Kappa back-to-back or something. I don't know, dude. But it's going to have to be minimum 500 going forward because I'm honestly getting PTSD just recounting this story. So now, <laughs> now I've got no microphone and I'm just yelling at families, like come in. the the saying was live on the fried side. So I'm like, come on, guys. you Come and live on the fried side. Come and play the bucket game. You can win some free KFC vouchers. And then there was like two brand ambassador guys who would play the bucket game with these kids where you had to get a KFC bucket on your head and you could win some free KFC. So, at least I didn't have to do that. And then, so I'm saying live on the fried side. And then uh, the lady who... Also, the staff there was super lovely and stuff. So, I did have a good time meeting them and hanging out with them uh, once the game started. But she was like, Billy, it's look on the fried side, not live on the fried side. So... If you can believe it, I'm getting creative notes on live on the fried side. So, I'm like, oh, sorry. Sorry about that. And then, so I'm saying, look on the fried side, guys. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I thought this would be a funny story. Holy shit, this was humiliating. I have absolutely repressed this. And it's only four days old. I've repressed the fuck out of this, dude. This is the first time I'm actually really going through this. Then she comes up to me and she goes, Billy... I don't know if look on the fried side is working. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. She goes, do you want to try come to the fried side? And I go, yeah, yeah, I'll try come to the fried side. So I'm yelling people in a Zinger bucket hat and a Zinger shirt saying come to the fried side on a Thursday night in Sydney, Australia, chasing my dream of becoming a famous stand-up comedian. And it was, oh my God. What the fuck, dude? As I'm I'm yelling, come to the fried side at yet another group of seven-year-olds, I'm thinking, why the fuck did I not pursue something after uni? I had the degree, you know? I had networking opportunities in the media industry. I had mates who worked in radio. Samos worked at Fox Sports. I had friends who could have helped me get an opportunity in the industry to pursue a real career in something. But no, Bill, you thought you were so funny. (laughs) Anyway, so that was pretty funny. Uh, DJ Tiger Lily was on before the game, which was pretty cool. I remember seeing Tiger Lily when I was 18. Me and my mates were like, she's so hot. And I tell you what, dude, DJ Tiger Lily, she's had a couple of kids. For my God, you would not be able to tell. She's still... Probably one of the most attractive women on the Eastern Seaboard and one of the most fantastic DJs as well while we're there. I will not have you guys just sexualize DJ Tiger Lily without giving a nod to her fantastic DJ abilities, okay? None of that. I'll have none of that. And DJ Tiger Lily, mate, I got to get her manager because her gig was way better than mine. She did a 10-minute set before the game just of David Guetta Tunes Pumping them out. There was a Don't You Worry Babe. There was that one. 10 minutes set. I reckon she honestly got paid 10 to 15K. And yes, I did ask around. Uh, And she also refused to wear any KFC merchandise because she's vegan. That's how you do it. That's a woman who's actually had a bit of success in showbiz. You got me head to toe in Zinger merch, asking people to come to the fried side for $300. Next to me, you got DJ Tiger Lily pressing play on whatever David Guetta fucking put out last year for $15,000 and then leaving. That's showbiz, babe, okay? That's someone who actually knows what they're doing. So, yeah, tough night for me. I did have a gig afterwards. It went a bit better, but but it was, it was no consolation prize. Although I should mention, I did actually get on the big screen at one point. I will admit it was to hype up the KFC chill out zone, but... I still was on the big screen and it went around the ground for about a minute. Uh, I was interviewed by the chick whose job I thought I was getting. So, that was humbling, yet also probably the coolest moment of my life. So, double, double whammy there. And it was honestly a lot of fun. I'll just talk about the women's big bash ever so briefly here. Just as a spectacle, right? Because I've never really got around the women's big bash before. And I do traditionally get around women's sports that I like, you know, like, soccer, UFC, these sorts of things. And I've never been to the Women's Big Bash before. I've never really watched it. You see the odd highlight of Australia. I've watched the odd game of Australia in the T20s. And let me tell you why Women's Big Bash actually rips. Because I wasn't a hater, but I was a bit like, whatever. I wasn't that pumped to watch the game. Women's Big Bash actually rips because the actual good Australian players all play every game. Like I was watching Ash Gardner, Boulder, Meg Lanning in like the fifth over. It was unbelievable. That's like watching Nathan Lyon, Boulder, Steve Smith. So you actually get to see the gun players play. And now I understand that CA must fix the men's big bash because it was so cool. It was like Alyssa Healy, Meg Lanning, Ash Gardner. Elise Perry wasn't even playing. She was supposed to be in the team as well. And it's like so much cooler to actually see the big superstars play. Firstly, the game's so much better. Meg Lanning got 60 off like seven rocks or something. Ash Gardner was bowling the house down. I I could only stay for the first innings because I had a gig after. Dude, what about this? Heavy Pockets Gardner. We all know she she got like 600K in the IPL or whatever. I've never seen anything like this before. I knew she was doing well, but I thought this was honestly a bit much from her. I've never seen anything like this. I swear to God. She comes on for her first over. She handed the umpire her hat and $75,000 cash to hold while she she bowled. I couldn't believe it. She handed him hat, sunnies, and then 75 stacks and said, hold this champ, right arm round. (laughs) Now that's a big dog, okay? I've never seen anything like that. So it was absolutely unbelievable. And I think going forward with the Big Bash, you know when you're watching the Big Bash and it's like, You know, it's that December, like Faf Duplessis has already left. There's already a couple of grade guys play, which is good for the game. Love it. You know, love it. But it's really, no one's coming in to the ground to see these guys. And then it's sort of 120 plays 120 and there's no superstars. And they've got like Sam Whiteman mic'd up. And you're thinking, who is Sam Whiteman? And it's all a bit ho-hum. Imagine every game you've got like Nathan Lyon, Steve Smith on one side, David Warner and Usman Khawaja opening the batting on the other. You know, Cummins is playing. I don't think Pat Cummins has ever played a Big Bash game. And while, you know, we love these players. I love all those names I just riddled off. I'll tell you who actually loves those guys. Seven-year-olds. And that's who goes to the Big Bash. Dude, seven to 15-year-olds, they would be losing their fucking mind if they were watching Pat Cummins bowl to Dave Warner. They literally just... Puberty would just be rolling around the ground. It'll be a, a Mexican wave of early-onset puberty as these nine-year-olds just blast off in their pants watching this shit. Okay, so Cricket Australia, I don't know how to do it. I don't have the answers, but we need... I think what we're going to end up seeing is Test Cricket needs to be played in November. Big Batch starts in December. And also, I'm sorry, but this whole thing of we need time to prepare for a certain format, you know We need to play tour games. Forget tour games. Ian Chappell saying they need to go to England four months early to play 75 county games. Forget about it. They didn't go over on a ship for three weeks. Do you know what I mean? This isn't the Great Depression. We need to adapt a little bit quicker. It's just going to be, you're going to be playing test cricket one day, 2020 is the next, lads. You'll just have to wrap your head around it. I'm sure they can. They're all very talented. I think maybe test cricket gets played in November, Big Bash gets played in December and January and the test players just have to skip out for the week of the Boxing Day test and the Sydney test or something like that. But we ne- and then the- And then the test players play all of January and all the first part of December. And also, if you're not literally walking on the field for the test side, you're out of here to play Big Bash. And also, once the test match is over, you're heading off to play Big Bash. I think that's where it's going to be. The Boxing Day test must stay. As a proud Sydney resident, I got to say, I fear for the future of the Sydney New Year's test because I don't know. The Sydney New Year's Ashes test, wow, absolutely face melting stuff. The Sydney New Year's test versus South Africa last year, I personally loved it as a guy who a lot of my personality is hanging around this sport I love so much. Kind of paid 40 bucks to watch like a center wicket practice, to be honest. And I was watching Norky Air Bowl rockets. I was watching Steve Smith get runs. I did not see a game of competitive cricket be played. So if I'm looking at Cricket Australia, if I'm thinking between that and making billions of dollars on having 10 Big Bash games over those five nights instead of a mildly attended test match against South Africa... Or West Indies. Or Pakistan. Ugh. You know. Not ideal. Maybe a day-night Sydney test back end of November. Could I interest anyone? Also, day-night tests just are unbelievable as well. I've never been to one. So, someone's going to have to compromise. As much as I ride for the Sydney versus Melbourne uh, rivalry, and if a Melbourne comedian talks shit about our scene, I'd throw hands at a moment's notice. If it was a choice between keeping the Boxing Day test and the Sydney test, I would lean towards a Boxing Day test. I'd have to. How could you not? You know? So, those are my thoughts on that. Those are my thoughts on that. And, oh, yeah. So, just to sum up, it was a highly degrading uh, Thursday night for yours truly. <clears throat> and, yeah. But, at the same time, I got to see some fantastic cricket and I met some cool people as well. So, Look on the bright side, Bill. Okay, up next, a new story that is of the utmost importance to this podcast and what we stand for. You know, I try to talk about one sort of piece of news a week if I can, just so it's not all stories about me being a rat bag on the weekends. And I do often struggle to find stuff that I actually care about. Okay, I could talk about what Kylie Jenner's is up to or this sort of stuff. But unless it's a male celebrity I want to bang like Timothy Chalamet or maybe, I don't know, Margot Robbie's been up to something. I don't know. There's not, there's not that much I care about in the celebrity world as far as actual celebrities. I love good Aussie celebrities who we grew up with. And one of my all-time heroes has made his first public appearance since the infamous Noosa incident. Michael Clark himself, since the... I guess you would call it a fight, but I don't think any punches were thrown with Carl Stefanovic in Noosa earlier this year. His first tell-all interview, I thought, I thought, wow, he's he's finally addressing it. Bold. I personally wouldn't have done this. I feel like everyone forgot about it. Probably would have let it go. But Clark, he's gone on a current affair, which I know you're thinking, why would he go on a current affair to just bring up this old wound that no one's really talking about anymore? But he went on there to promote... Lemon, lime, and bitters. I guess Clarkie is bought into a lemon, lime, and bitters company. They're going global. So he's gone on a current affair to promote this beverage. And really, who better to promote the non-alcoholic treat of lemon, lime, and bitters than a man whose life was almost destroyed by alcohol this very calendar year? You know, get Clarkie on, on the ads on telly. Like, have you ever... <laughs> <laughs> have you ever almost destroyed your whole media career and public image by getting in an all-in brawl and public spat with one of Australia's most beloved breakfast television hosts? Well, have I got the beverage for you? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I know what you're all thinking. Clarkie, why would you do this? Why would you go on a current affair? I guess this lemon, lime and bitters company has gone, Clarky, mate, here's 500 stacks, large, yeah? Hey, Clarky, we wanted to get Ashley Gardner, but we couldn't afford her. How does 500 large sound to go on a current affair and say lemon, lime and bitters is refreshing (laughs) while dodging some of the most harrowing questions of your, your public life? My God, why would he go on this program? And he gets stitched up immediately. Firstly, they give him—they don't give him the 35-year-old friendly woman or the young guy who's like, what's up, pup? How you going, legend? The guy looks about 73. It looks like they called him Bulldog in the 80s. He's got thick white hair or a thick white mustache. And he's a thick white man while we're there. And it doesn't look like he's let anyone fuck with him in about three decades. <laughs> I can't... I can't believe this. Why would Clarky go on this program? Oh, my God. Immediately stitched up, the voiceover goes, Michael Clark is coming on our program today to flog Big Paws. They say he's come on here to flog Big Paws Lemon, Lime and Bitters, if you can believe it. Stitch up off the rip in the voiceover. Can you imagine the vibe in the editing booth when the boys know they're just taking Clarky to town? Oh, my God. Can you imagine most of the time you're following around dodgy plumbers, talking to chicks who fake cancer, and you find out that Michael Clark, six months after getting in a punch-on with Carl Stefanovic, is coming on A Current Affair. No wonder they let the bulldog out of the pen. This is big news at A Current Affair. You can't let Alison Langdon do this interview. She's too likable. She's too friendly. She'll be seduced by Clarke's fantastic silver hair and his piercing blue eyes. We can't let that happen. Get the bulldog off the leash. Let's go. Oh my God. Okay. All right. Okay. Oh, I can't. I can't. I can't deal. I can't deal with this stuff. This is unbelievable. So, as you can imagine, Clark is sitting there, hair looking immaculate. Just unbelievable, dude. This guy just he's a silver fox of the highest caliber and the bulldog sits down and Clarkie's going, how you going mate? And the bulldog goes, no sir, let's talk about it. And Clarkie's like, I knew this would happen. Here's the thing, mate. I don't want to give you that headline, brother. I've made mistakes. I've learned from them. And Clarkie just goes into like panic media mode. He's like, that is not fair to the company. I'm here to represent. And it's like, Firstly, what are the ethics of doing an interview just blatantly promoting your company? Do an Instagram live clarkie if you want to promote Lemon Lime and Bitters, okay? I mean, Cam Smith took 200 mil to go play live golf in Saudi Arabia. I honestly think Clarkie taking 500k from Lemon Lime and Bitters is dirtier. You know, that's that's hush money of the highest order. Don't come on here and pretend you're doing an interview with Brand Power. Okay, you're not, you're not talking to the brand power chick, brand power helping you buy better. This is the bulldog brother. This is no nonsense. All right, this bloke, the last time this bloke did an interview was with Rolf Harris in 1987. He didn't hold back then, Clarky. All right, you're pressed, cunt. Let's go. And so Clarky really just, just talks around it for 10 minutes, the poor guy. And, you know, I can empathise with Clarkie that he, he went there on the good faith that the people of the current affair, despite their long storied history of stitching up anyone within 10 square kilometres of them, he went in there thinking this is the time they're going to turn it all around. It's me, Clarkie. I'm here to talk about lemon-lime bitters. His manager should be sacked immediately. I can't... Who the hell teed this up for him? And poor Clarkie goes... I've made mistakes. Joey uh, you know said at one point, which was the funniest thing I've ever s- seen in my life. He said he likes lemon lime and bitters because it doesn't discriminate. <laughs> what does that even mean? Are there other bre- beverages that are only for white people? Like, what are you even talking about at this point? That's so obviously a buzzword that someone came up with in a boardroom. Some autistic media graduate is like, "Uh, racism, beverages. Uh, what, what's in the news? Like, I don't know what goes on, dude. I have no idea what goes on out there." Anyway, so Clarky talks around in circles for about ten minutes, saying he's made mistakes, and he gets up every morning and tries his best, just like lemon lime and bitters. So he keeps trying to bring it back to lemon lime and bitters, which is just so, so, so funny, dude. I hope it was worth it, Clarkie. I hope you got an absolute stack for that, dude. My God. Oh, okay. Okay. I hope that was a fun segment. I kind of blacked out. Dear God, I can't breathe. It's <laughs> So good. Anyway, let's talk about the UFC and let's talk about the Volk. Let's bring the energy way, way down. Let's get somber. Okay, UFC 294 is in the books. Alexander Volkanovsky was defeated by Islam Makhachev via knockout in the first round. It was absolutely harrowing and traumatizing and basically worst case scenario. So let's, let's whip into this and I'll try not to break down in tears as we go. So Saturday night, Adzi and Maka come over. Maka flew in from Fiji from his brother's wedding and we're getting into it. We, we plan to go to bed at 10 p.m., Wake up at 4.30 for the fights. The main card starts at 5 a.m. Obviously, it was pretty electric stuff in the backyard with some of the banter. And we ended up going to bed at like sort of 1.32. So, we sort of fucked that. Whatever. We wake up at 4.30, walk down the road to the pub, ready to go. The It's this sports bar near me, packed to the brim with UFC fans and English rugby union fans. So... There's about three confirmed routes in the building, and everyone's G'd up. Now, I'm just going to talk about Volk first, and then I'll touch on the other fights, sort of in descending order. Volk comes out. As soon as he takes his shirt off, I don't want to be negative, but yeah, he doesn't look good, as far as his rig. Doesn't really look that good. Kind of looked sloppy, but at the same time, so did Murph Hughes in the 90s. So you never want to count anyone out. And also, it's the whole 10 days notice thing. And my mate D'Orso sent me this. So, every time you hear about UFC fighters cutting weight and stuff, it's always in pounds. And if I could be honest, guys, I don't really know what a pound is. I have no idea if I weigh 90 pounds or like 190 or 290. I'm not 100% sure. So, every time, you know, this person cuts 30 pounds, this person cuts 20... This person cut 15 pounds in 15 days. I miss my ex-girlfriend. I don't really know what any of it means. But my my mate Dorso sent me this, that Volkanovski cut 12 kilos in 11 days. Which, when you think about it like that in kilos, that's insane. If some guy told you he lost 12 kilos in six months, you'd be like, fucking hell, mate. That's unbelievable. 12 kilos in three months, you'd be like, what have you been doing? 12 kilos... In one month, you'd be like, you need to go to hospital. Okay, so 12 kilos in 11 days. That's more than a kilo a day. We'll leave that there. So potentially that could shed a light on what happened next. I mean, well, nothing really happened next. I don't think he landed a single strike. I think he was zero of nine attempted. Looked a little hesitant, but you know, he's feeling him out. I, was, I, I thought, you know, he's doing that thing where he sort of leans forward with his head, like sort of that Izzy thing. I thought, oh, yeah, walk him into something filthy, you know. Islam Mukachev, table for two, brother, right this way. Bam! Okay? And anyway, he stuffed a takedown. It looked all right. Eats a head kick, immediately wobbled. Eats about 45 punch- punches on the ground. Absolutely fucking shattering. Absolutely shattering. Okay. Firstly, he was the last leg on two of my multis. Secondly, I had a couple of standalone bets featuring the Volk. Shattering. Okay. Absolutely shattering. But I don't even know what to say about it. It was over so quickly. I don't even know. I almost just made a joke about like it's like losing your virginity. Like that's how I almost just made a probably the hackest joke in get around me history. That's how rattled I am by this, just recounting this. I'm almost more traumatized. Put it this way. I was more traumatized by Volk getting knocked out than hosting the KFC chill out zone on Thursday night. That's the sort of trauma we're talking about here. So yeah, I mean, really all you can say about it is it kind of makes sense. If you could just jump in on 12 days notice and not need a camp and not need to train, then blokes would be out here fighting once a month making absolute stacks, just taking a swing at anyone, anywhere, anytime. But that's the point. This is fighting at the highest level imaginable, the pound-for-pound best fighter on the planet in Islam Markachev. I had Volk 1, Islam 2. I don't go in on this John Jones number one thing, but also whatever. If people think that, that's okay as well. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And also, in a way, it's kind of good because... If you don't need a camp and stuff, it reiterates that this is a real sport with real stakes. Like I said last week in response to that, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, the the sort of wider, redder man from News Corp who said that UFC isn't a sport. If this isn't a sport, then what the fuck was I watching at 8 a.m. Sunday morning? Like I said last week, this is a sport with the highest stakes and the smallest margin fairer of any sport on the planet. Maybe, I guess, ironically, F1 would be another one where it's like these are second-to-second decisions with the highest stakes imaginable. So, yeah, it makes sense and it's just horrible and it sucked. And then you're just outside a pub at 8 a.m. on Sunday morning with like two hours sleep, had two schooners during the card, sort of delirious, sort of sad, sort of uh, I don't even know how to feel. And yeah. That was that. And then we go to the press conference and I did not see this coming. He starts sort of alluding to mental health issues, saying he had to take the fight because he's just sort of in a dark place at home. He didn't say that necessarily, but he was saying in the lead up to the whole fight, he's like, oh, I couldn't wait to take this fight. I was doing my head in at home, which I guess doing your head in is how like Australian blokes say, I have depression. (laughs) Not saying he does. I'm not sure how, I'm not sure what Volk has, but it clearly, it's clear that he's not, in a very bright space at the moment for whatever reason and yeah it was just really sad he started crying i started crying <laughs> it's just brutal dude sometimes in life i think you think you're happy and you're really just busy i'm not sure if that's what's happened to the Volk, but i think so many times in life you just whipping through all these things there's been times in my life where i've been so busy like working full-time doing comedy doing the podcast like 6 a.m before work and you think you're really happy because you're just whipping so hard but you're kind of just going through on like this anxious energy and then when you take a break you're like well maybe i'm not as happy as i thought i'm not sure if that's what's happening with the Volk. his schedule is absolutely sickening so maybe that's a possibility maybe he does have depression maybe he just hasn't been able to take a breath in about four years and he got two months off and spiraled a bit. I have no idea. But I wish him the best either way. Here's the thing, dude. He's talking about fighting Ilya Taporia in January. He should receive a six-month minimum medical suspension. I don't know. The UFC has to get stricter with the medical suspensions following knockouts. He sh- I don't want to see the Volk until, what do we got? November, December, January, February, March, April. Honestly, May. Put him on UFC 300, co-main with Ilya Teporia. Done. Okay, April. Job done. If he comes back in January, it's going to be no good. That's going to worry the fuck out of me. And I think he's got two-ish years left. Knock out Ilya and then just go back to lightweight. Super fight city. I want Volk Gaethje, Volk Oliveira. Dude, Volk McGregor for featherweight coat. All of those fights and more. But please, Volk, go... See a therapist or whatever you need to do. Go to go on holiday with your wife and your kids. You just had a kid, you know. I don't know what goes on in the head of this man, but I wish him the best. And I hope that he can, you know, just, just get happy. Get happy, Volk, you son of a bitch, okay? We don't like to see our heroes upset. It makes me upset. So really shattering stuff Sunday morning. And then, yeah, Islam, shout out. And I would like to see him fight Gaethje next. But at the same time, if he fights Oliveira, I'm in for that as well. Lightweight is electric. And as long as he doesn't fight Leon Edwards. He keeps saying he wants to fight Leon Edwards at welterweight. i would tell you what, Leon Edwards versus Islam Marcachev. Anyone who can get through that press conference can get the pay-per-view for free. Dear God, how boring would that be? Two blokes who don't speak great English and have zero bands. No, thank you. And while we're here, I, I, on that Islam thought, I was thinking this the other day, but what's going on with UFC press conferences? They all suck. When was the last time there was a good UFC press conference? It's, they're all awful. When I first started watching the UFC, I used to love the press conferences. Now it's like, it's just CTE riddled criminals just s- screaming at each other. They need to have like a magic microphone that they pass around at the press conferences. And you can only talk when you've got the magic microphone. Because it's always just guys screaming over each other like, you're going to get knocked out, you're going to get knocked out. And the other guy's like, we'll see, we'll see, motherfucker. You're going to get knocked out. No, you're going to get knocked out. Completely unwatchable. This press conference, you know, Vox never a massive shit talker or whatever. But it's like, my God, does anyone have anything interesting to say whatsoever? Because I'm honestly at the point with the press conferences where it's like, what's the point? What is the point of them? Because they're not promoting the fight. When was the last time a press conference really promoted a fight? I don't know. Okay. Anyway, let's put that behind us. This is allegedly a comedy podcast, so don't want to get too sad on air. The rest of the fights were, I mean, sort of whatever. The, the whole card was a bit of a, I don't know how to feel about it. It was a weird card. It was very weird, yeah. But Kamara Usman fought Hamzat Chimaev. Go Kamara Usman. I love him. I love Kamara Usman. When I saw his trainer Trevor Whitman and Justin Gaethje turn up in Abu Dhabi, Ah, oh, I lost it. I couldn't believe it. I blacked out. I had 500 on the knockout on Sportsbet when I woke up. Wow. I love Kamaru. Uh, good on Kamaru. Like, he was supposed to get hammered. The fight honestly sucked. Like, I'm not really the biggest Chamaya fan in general. Like, out of the octagon. I think he's a bit of a kook. But in the octagon, this whole thing where he's the wolf and stuff, I'm in for it. I love it. But I don't know. Maybe a bit of a hype train, bit of a fraud check. I'm not sure what happened. But... I don't know. Not seen a lot of Chamayev out of rounds two and three. And even in the first round, did no damage. I can't think of any damage he inflicted on Kamaru Usman at all. And the whole thing was quite weird. So, yeah, not the biggest Hamzat fan. And the fight was kind of a flop. But also, I bet on Hamzat. So, no harm, no foul there. Uh, And for Usman, I'll say, I don't mind if Usman wants to stay at 185. Or if Colby wins, do the trilogy at 170. And I don't care that he's coming off two losses at welterweight. Just make big fights, dude. Anything to keep Bala Muhammad out of the title fight. And yeah, Hamza Chamaev I don't know, the vibe on him rolling in with a literal warlord, like a Chechnyan warlord, who's like got mass murders on his name. And he's got this warlord sons in his corner. You can kind of overlook the warlord stuff when he's knocking people out. Uh, it's way easier to overlook war crimes when you're knocking people out in the first round. I'll say that. But if Hamzat Shemaev is going to go to boring decisions going forward and just shoot for single legs like his life depends on it, I don't know, dude, we might have to look at some of the horrific warlord, literal pure evil people that you that sponsor you and you align yourself with outside of the cage. If you, if you knock people out in the first round, it's, I can overlook the terrorist links, but I'm not sure. And then the Johnny Walker fight was called off like two minutes in. Should have been a DQ. I was on Johnny Walker, right? Should have been a DQ. Blatant corruption in Abu Dhabi. So should have been a DQ. And yeah. And then my boy, my tip, my my underdog tip of Tim Elliott. Racist Tim Elliott was up two rounds against Mohammed Makayev. And he got knocked out in the second round and woke back up after being dropped on his head, right? This bloke's wife cheated on him with his best friend. And you can tell by the way he fought in that second round. He got knocked out cold and just woke straight back up. Straight back into his work, all right? That's a man who's lost everything and come back from it. He ended up getting subbed in the third round, so that was, kind of, that was kind of annoying as well. And, yeah, looking back at this card, yeah, I don't know. It was a tough one. If Johnny Walker got that DQ, I would have made a fair stack on a multi. But apart from that, it was a tough card. The fights were a bit up and down. There was all sorts of weird stuff. Shara Bullet, Shara Magomedov, uh, or Magomedov, I should say, he opened the card. He's like this crazy guy. He's got like a fake eye. They call him the pirate. Dude, the UFC is so weird. I could, like, It's so funny coming from being a traditional team sport fan to being a UFC fan because the UFC is just the Wild West. Like this guy, Shara Magomedov, he was at a mall in Dagestan and a guy in front of him kissed his girlfriend on the cheek on an escalator and that's like a big public affection is a big no-no in russia not all of russia but uh dagestan specifically so then margomedov got in an altercation with him the guy threw a punch obviously Magomedov beat the shit out of him then Magomedov waited outside the mall and king hit the bloke from behind and then stomped on his head while he was unconscious and this guy's like the new superstar of the UFC. Dana White's on there laughing, going, I can't believe this guy's from Dagestan and has no takedown defense. It's unbelievable. It's just craziness, dude. Like, the UFC, you can just do whatever you want. Then you go from this to, like, Fox Sports, and they're like, oh, I felt like Jerome Luai's celebration on the weekend was a little bit too arrogant in its tone. So it's like, I mean, what goes on? The UFC is just the craziest place of all time. The UFC is honestly, like, uncancelable. People are just uncancelable in the UFC, This calendar year, the head of the UFC, Dana White, slapped and stomped his own wife and didn't even, I don't think he even took a week off. You know, he was just back at it. News cycle marches on. The UFC is just the weirdest place. Hamzat rolls in with a literal warlord who was, he's like, uh, he's cleansed villages in Chechnya where they round up all the gay people and kill them. Like, I don't even know, dude. I don't want to be talking about this shit. I'm just saying this is wild. It, the UFC is the Wild West with what goes on. So anyway, we've got the project up next and then we're done. Okay, the project up next is the segment where we celebrate Australian talent, killing it here and abroad. So firstly, a couple of things here. Now, I love Australian sport. Everyone knows that. A sport I don't really get around, netball. Netball Australia and the players. Are locked in a, a vicious pay dispute, and basically this is something I've not seen before. The Australian Cricketers Association has provided two hundred thousand dollars in a fund for the Netball Players Association, while they continue to while they continue to negotiate a new pay deal. So we got some cross code help here, and you know I love the players uh, uniting against the suits upstairs, and I I just love. Mugging off the man, basically. And the players have been off contracts since September 30 with no pay and can't sign new contracts until this is resolved. But the thing with the netball players is most of them are on a base contract of 40K. So it's not like the cricketers where they can just take a few months off and they're all millionaires. These girls are like flat broke. They've already got second jobs, a lot of them. So this pay dispute is actually quite high stakes. Now, the players want a revenue share model. And Netball Australia wants a profit share model. I don't know what that means, but i tell you one thing for sure. It means these crafty suits are up to something. So stay strong, girls. I love that the Australian Cricketers Association is providing the leg up here because I think the Australian Cricketers went through something similar in 2017. I'm not going to pretend to know the ins and outs of these different deals, but I love players uniting across different codes. I would love to see more of it. You know, at the end of the day, a lot of the the players, the different sports are dealing with more or less the similar things. It's all about TV rights, more or less. So if something was a good idea in one sport, it's pretty much going to be a good idea in another. I've really just made that up on the fly, so double check that. But yeah, love it when the unions are sticking it to the man. Well done to the ACA for helping out the gals, and uh, and yeah, hope to see that resolved soon. But shout out, okay. Shout out to a bit of union action there. And I would love to see a stand-up comedy union one day. My God. Oh, some of the suits upstairs will be quaking in their boots once we unionize. I'll tell you that. Anyway, up next on the project, women's cricketer Grace Harris. I don't know if anyone saw this reel. A few people sent it to me. This (laughs) This is pretty sick, this clip. Honestly, this clip goes for 60 seconds. Go look it up after this pod. It's fucking unreal. She goes, they've got her on the stump mic. The bowler's going back to her mark. And Grace Harris is calling out to her teammate saying, I need a new bat. And they're like, what? Why? And she's like, I need a new bat. But they don't really hear her in time. And she goes, ugh. She goes, stuff it. I'll still hit it. Bowler comes in. She cracks this thing. The bat shatters into a million pieces. It's like the wonder bat, you know? It's been struck by lightning or something. The bat shatters into a million pieces and the ball still goes for six. Is that not the coolest fucking thing? You've ever heard of in your bloody life? What a mug off to the bowler! I can't imagine what I would do to this bowler if I had pulled this off. I would run into the sheds, steal this bloke's car, and start doing doughies on the pitch, just like smoking weed out out the driver's door, going "Woo!" Cancel the game. It's not going to get better than that, you know. Oh my god, that is the sickest thing I've ever seen in my life. To have your bat shatter and the ball still go for six. It's like, babe, can you imagine if I had a real bat? I'd be following the bowler back to their mark going, you are pants, mate. Absolutely pants. So go check out that clip. Shout out to Grace Harris. Shout out to the WBBL. Uh, My eyes have been opened to uh, the fact that they actually have all the gun players playing. I think Phoebe Litchfield got, she got like 60 off about seven balls on the weekend. So I'll definitely be keeping an eye on the WBBL over the coming months. And also, uh, look, I can't talk about Ange Postacoglu every week, but I'm just going to quickly mention him. Ange Postacoglu, Spurs at top of the league, back-to-back Manager of the Month awards. I mean, you can't wrap your head around what this man continues to do. I'm just going to quickly say that there because literally every week, people are messaging me saying, Ange, for the project. It's unbelievable. And we continue to be gobsmacked at what that fantastic, charismatic man continues to get done. So... What about this? Ange Postacoglu wins the league. Where does that rank in Australian sporting achievements of all time? It's got to be top five, really. Something to think about there. Anyway, that is the podcast for this week. Hope you liked it. Or answer that Spotify question if you got the time. And me and Roland Arneel are up next just talking about the bra boys. a shitload. It's pretty fun stuff. So catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Now, gone, All right, legends. Welcome back, dude, to yet another second half of Get Around Me, What a Time It Is To Be Alive, Etc. Here with our darling boy, Rowan Arneal. What's doing?
1: King of the tradies returns, man. King of the tradies. King of sight today. G- just sing going around, just <laughs> bantering the whole site off.
0: Yeah, mate. I can tell you're in a good mood because you said you were zingoing and zangoing <laughs> with the lads on site. Where I, I, I've never heard anyone say zingo before, mate. Take me through that, mate.
1: I've just, I'm just dialed in today. I'm just zen in myself. I know. I drove home, didn't even get a pie on the way home. Wow. Wow. Pretty good. Bottle. I also filled up my car with petrol. Treat for the car. Didn't get a treat for me. You Got a sparkling water.
0: Wow, cause usually you're very much a one for me, one for you with the treats. I'm a
1: I'm a one for the car, three for me sort of guy. And this the servo's set up that way, really. It is set up. But when you've when you've already spent seventy dollars, you may as well spend nine extra dollars. You get a pie, you get a Kit Kat, you get a dollar of coffee.
0: And the servo deals are outrageous. It's like you could get a pie and a coffee for eight dollars, or you could get a pie, a coffee, and a Kit Kat for seven. Yeah. It's dark arts, dude.
1: Also, if I can tell that if I've had a bad day or if I'm a little bit a little bit morose maybe. A bit sooky. I, I can be quite sooky on site. Suki on site Arneel, means fucking pretty spicy chips on the way home. Really? I'll just destroy a kettle spicy chips. Oh wow. And I'll shove it into my like center compartment. Yeah. So I didn't do any of that today.
0: Mate, honestly, well, okay, there's a few different ways we could go here. <laughs> Off the rip, some of the feedback we received regarding you not having a fuel cap. Oh yeah, like, I had blokes <laughs> messaging me saying like his car could <laughs> his car could blow up at any moment. Like the- apparently it needs the pressure to like
1: yeah keep things going. That's what the fucking lamestream media will tell you. The lamestream media, <laughs> the mockingbird media. I have no time for the. Bo- but honestly, I will buy one. I was gonna buy one this weekend. It did get to me. Um,
0: Especially summer, I think even the slightest spark could be the end of you
1: Yeah, I need to get one But also, they're like $20 and it was coming into a weekend And I was like, mate, you spend the money on the fuel cap after the weekend Yeah So I'm going to get one delivered
0: If only you could, uh, they sold uh, fuel caps at the service station That would be nice That would
1: be ideal If I could just lose one, hit the next servo, buy one It, It does appear you're really the only one losing them I had a a lot of people reaching out to me and being like, I lose two a year as well. It's heaps normal. Really? I'm really smart as well. I'm a doctor. Um, And I still lose two fuel caps a year. So, there's no shame in it. Did anyone actually message you? Not a single person. Some people said mean things. Yeah, that makes way more sense. It would be
0: hilarious if, like, the two separate camps just formed up. Like, everyone messaging me is like, can you believe this fucking idiot?
1: It's cool to drive without a fuel cap and a little without a fuel side door thing as well, so everyone knows.
0: Yeah, I had other people saying just at least close the side door thing. Obviously, it was implied, but that's long gone.
1: Oh, Oh, it's actually underneath my seat, but the part that combines them is rusted.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And when I go to a mechanic, it's, mate, let's deal with the emergency stuff.
0: Let's deal with the emergency stuff. Also, is it a bit where you're like, I need this fixed, but I don't have the balls to ask this mechanic to, to fix this because it's kind of embarrassing?
1: Well, last time I went to a mechanic, I went fuel caplessness, fuel capless. I to a mechanic? To a mechanic.
0: I now, when you drop the car off, do you address the lack of fuel cap?
1: I'm living my life, Billy. I- <laughs> this is my cross to bear. It's not anyone else's issue.
0: See, I would have gone, mate, I've got no fuel cap, but here's the full story. You're actually going to laugh. like. <laughs>
1: well, I came back and they'd put a fuel cap in for me. You're kidding. Yeah, no charge, mate. No charge. They're just looking out for the community.
0: Mate, mechanics, and those are the stories you don't hear about mechanics? Mm. Absolutely. They're good boys. Dude, fair play. Well, shout out- um- And have you obviously haven't done anything to rectify? No, no, that's actually on the to-do list. It's
1: on the agenda. And but you see me, you see my life. I'm very busy yeah we what well, we killed about 12 hours in nearly complete silence together on Sunday <laughs> no there's no time then I could have been buying a fuel there were there were pockets of up to
0: 25 minutes definitely yeah at one point I said to your brother what's going on let's get it going but <laughs> yeah. you didn't have much for me
1: mate no. I woke up at like 1 30 in the afternoon came down to you guys and was like they're like oh how was your night and I was like it's good, but it was good, but right now, it's, I have no emotion. Just yeah. Just an empty, dehydrated man.
0: And we never really know if you're home or not. Like, we thought you were home uh, all day, but I, I wasn't sure. And there was rumors going around that you came home at 10 p.m. the night before.
1: Oh, really?
0: Yeah, we thought you were home, like, all night, and you were sleeping heavy.
1: Oh, really?
0: Yeah. yeah. So, it was a bit of a shamoz on Sunday, obviously. the U- Like, UFC... Sunday morning, because so I like was on three hours sleep. And then now I'm just standing outside. <laughs> now I'm just standing outside a pub in Surrey Hills at 8.30 a.m. I've had two schooners for breakfast <laughs> with no food. And I've just watched one of my heroes fall. <laughs> and I'm like, I guess I'll just go home and sleep for like four hours.
1: Oh, a proud New South Wales man going down. In Abu Dhabi. It's a very sad sight. You should never see it. Mate, the whole state wept.
0: They really did. And then you came down at like 2 p.m. or something. (laughs) You were in all sorts. And then we were sort of having beers blazing a bit. Mark is continuing to push his date back hour by hour. He's like taking a gummy. He's like, I'll probably still see her. I'm like,
1: oh. I think I'm just going to go to Circular Key on a gummy and meet a woman. I'm like, it's your life, brother. It's your You're life. Grip it and rip it.
0: Uh, but, dude, uh, yeah, we, and there were pockets of elongated silence. Yeah. But we fought. We fought through those. Yeah, yeah, we had some nice pockets of conversation. We did. I felt yeah. like, to be honest, mate, there were pockets where I tried to get something going, <laughs> yeah. and you just sort of honestly turned your back on me.
1: <laughs> like, I'm actually reflecting on how much of a cool guy I am right now, Billy. There's no time for conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Rowan Arneel, post having success with women. On a beautiful Sunday, Sunny Arvo. <laughs> Just silent. In a way where it's like <laughs> like words are needless. Yeah. Like, like, he was silent in a way that said nothing needs to be said. Yeah. Basking in
1: glory, mate.
0: Just standing over the Weber with the, the smuggest grin. Oh, the smuggest grin. There's
1: nothing smug about me on Sunday. Mate, you were smug. I was a little bit smug. You were yeah, a little yeah. bit smug and that's yeah. okay. The world had been edging me. Big time. A- and that was over.
0: Yeah, see- I had had the work. it was like How Meet Your Mother when Ted finally gets with Robin and he comes home at 10 a.m. and he's so excited. He finally got the love of his life. And then Marshall sitting on the stairs with the engagement ring. Lily left him. Oh, true. That was you you were Ted and yeah, I was Marshall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and imagine those guys having a beer that afternoon. Of course it was Icy. <laughs> oh, you met a beautiful woman. Well, some of us. Some of us put our whole night aside for this one thing that turned out to be a fucking disaster.
1: <laughs> to be fair to me though, I did roll over in the morning and just See regret in a woman's eyes as I went, oh, Volkloss, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, what happened? I'm like, don't fucking worry. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing can fix this. <laughs> You're not from New South Wales. You don't get it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> you don't understand Wollongong culture at all. You don't like Husky.
0: You don't like Husky. But, dude, Sunday was great. So, this this happened on Sunday. And I honestly was, like, kind of stressed about this when it happened. I had to openly admit to you and Marky, I had never seen the Bra Boys
1: doco. Oh, yeah. Dude, Marky's head whipped <laughs> round. Yeah. I thought this is the end of it. And also, Tompo, a big man in our friend group that will throw on Bra Boys at any occasion.
0: Yeah. If and you- I was keen to see it mm. and see it we did. We knocked over the Bra Boys. Mate, what an experience.
1: Well, what a beautiful film.
0: It's a beautiful film. Russell Coit. Uh, Russell- I was going to say Russell Coit. <laughs> I watched some Russell, Russell Coit today. Uh, oh, he's on those ads at the
1: moment. That's what it is. Oh, I listened to him on Triple M today. Really? Man, he's having a bonanza.
0: He's all over the gaff. But Russell Crowe narrating mm. and also really pensively as well. Like really- Oh, yeah. You feel it, yeah, Russell. Yeah. Like crime in the streets type yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: Sydney is surrounded by beaches and coves. It's very that. And yeah. Like,
0: fucking oath. Let's go. So I didn't realize the bra boys, because, you know, I'm a casual surf fan. I, I'm in and out of the surf world. I I, I know, like, <laughs> who's top five in the WSL, but I don't know what the streets are talking about. You're a Mick Fanning
1: head. I'm a Mick Fanning you're head. You're a Joel Parkinson. Yeah. Rip curl on the Tosh fucking Burrow, board. Taj Parko, Mick Fanning. Taj is Big anti-vax now. He hates the vax. Oh, really? Mate, Western Australia hates the vax. Yeah. Honestly, by the way, if any of my heroes
0: or anyone I've ever met is anti-vax or whatever, I'm not even going to pretend to care for half a second I don't anymore. not
1: at all. I, Kobe Aberton, big time anti-vax. Well, I could totally see
0: oh, that. Oh, big time. So, <laughs> the Aberton brothers, the original bra boys. I understood that there was like a gang related like thing with the bra boys in Maroubra. Mm. I didn't realize they were also, like, world-class big wave surfers. Yeah, they're sick. That's insane.
1: And their little household kids are on the mark. Yeah. And, Last like... hell team.
0: I feel like now with big wave surfing and stuff, surfing in general, it's a bit more... Modern athlete, you know, they've mm. got the rock at the bottom of the pool, yeah, doing yeah. those runs, yeah, doing the cool stretches before their heat, yeah. I love when they do the stretches with their headphones on, eyes Ooh, closed, yeah. Mick Fanning's
1: got some windmills going, yeah. This is all Kelly Slater's fault,
0: yeah. Well, Kelly Slater. Everyone was just surfing, having a good time. Hey, man, whoever gets the best wave wins.
1: Let's all bender into the competition. But Kelly had to be a fucking narc. Yeah, now
0: Kelly's turning up going, I'm going to win no matter what, because that's what winners do. (laughs) Talking shit in the fucking lineup and this sort of stuff. But I... And this is what I was going to say about the Aberton boys, the Bra boys. Mate, like, they'd be interviewing in one segment. And then the next segment, like, or the next scene... Is them just pulling into something, like, ungodly. Like, just some slab in Western Australia where you're like, how do these guys even live? And I I, I swear to God, they're not in shape at all. They look like they just eat meat pies for every meal. And you're like, oh, my God, these guys must be, like, past it. This must be Mm. a later interview. Next thing, the (laughs) jet skis whipping them into that Cyclops shit or whatever. And I'm like, what the? It was like proper
1: 1980s cricket stuff. Yeah, 2 hours off the coast. Just some boys that were doing mad pingers at the time. Like they Kobe's been to rehab big time.
0: I could see it. Oh,
1: they were getting so fucked up. What What time period
0: is the Bra Boys doco? Mid 2000s, mid to late, I think. Mid to late. Pingers were big back then. Big time. So mate, I'll ask you this cuz I honestly and it should be noted that you did not make it to the end of the doco. No, I had you to went sleep. to sleep. Yeah. But I watched the whole thing. When they- I don't understand like how they're making money in these situations. So like, they're fighting this court case, which we'll get to. When they jet off to fucking Chopu or whatever, jet skis, four of them. They were that Jesse kid. They're paying for to go. Yeah, yeah. Where's the money coming from? Where do they are they making their money on the tour?
1: No. <clears throat> um. Well, they they're sponsored, and when you're sponsored. Um, you get a certain amount of money for travel. So, like, there are guys that are sponsored during year 12, say. Like, I know um, a friend of mine, his mate was sponsored during all of year 12. And um, he didn't travel during that time. And then the next year, he had a spare $50,000 to spend on travel. You're kidding. So, yeah. So, that <laughs> you can just jet set. And the ones that have less have to just book flights in advance and hope the swell's good. And then the ones that have more can book flights, be like, watch the swell, and then be like, we're going in a week. We're going in four days. And then they make the surf videos. Yeah, yeah. And that's how the brain Well, the, the textiles industry is just such an absolute disgrace that there's so much money to- there is money just to pass out. Like, Rip Curls um, was making their wetsuits in North Korean slave labor camps. Really? He got caught out in North Korean slave labor camps. Ribcurel, Australia's favorite, mate. That's that's a shocker. <laughs> dissidents of the North Korean Empire, people that politically revolted against King Jong-un were suing, sewing together. The North Korean government would get contracts for these wetsuits and then get their dissidents to fucking make them. Do you know,
0: that pisses me off as well because rip, rip curl stuff
1: was expensive. They're super expensive. The overheads are nothing, bro. Oh, that's a shocker. <laughs> it's that. like the Flight of the Concords joke where they're like, we're hearing all about these slave um, labor sneaker factories. Then why are sneakers so <laughs> so expensive? Where are your overheads? What's going on? It's so true. I remember it was like 60 bucks for a t-shirt in like 2006. Oh, mate, they had us all by the balls, brother. Thank God, mate. it looked good as well. <laughs> it's just... Begging my mother, please, not Kmart, not Mambo. Mambo's for dads, please. <laughs> Mambo. Dad's- no, more, no more piping hot. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Dude, well, that yeah, that's sick. But anyway, so the doco, mate- Basically, the doco kind of left me with, like, kind of a weird taste in my mouth as far as, like, what the point of it was.
1: <laughs> Isn't that Australian culture as a whole? mate? <laughs> it's not pretty, brother. So <laughs> Sometimes you lose two years to Silverwater, to Long Bay, for no- Long Bay for no reason.
0: Yeah. So, like, the first hour is the boys just ripping and tearing. Yeah. It's just surf culture, surf gangs. <laughs> everything's good until it's not. And if something's not good, we'll make it good with our fists. Yeah. And I was loving it. Yeah. Then out of nowhere, uh, what like this real nefarious character comes into it. What's his name again? Tony I, Hines. I want to say. I think say. that
1: might be it. Yeah.
0: And he, uh, gorgeous, had- <laughs> stunning. Yeah. He actually looks like the guy from the movie James Franco did, The Room.
1: Oh yeah, a little bit. And he yeah, looks yeah. a little bit like that guy. Yeah, really yeah. hot. Yeah.
0: And he'd actually done time for five years for raping <laughs> a previous woman. Yeah, he was bad. So. For they're hanging around with this guy, and then he tried to rape another one mm. in a car, bing, bang, boom, or whatever. Not sure what's happened, but they uh, was it Jai? Jai's clocked him. Jai unloaded a clip into this guy's chest. Yeah. And then- In self-defense. Self-defense, free my guy.
1: And then sometimes, when you do act in self-defense, you need to drag the body off a cliff <laughs>
0: to get rid of the so body. So, that was the thing. <laughs> the the self-defense part- No harm, no foul. What happened after is where we find many (laughs) fouls. Like, should have just called the police immediately and said, I just prevented a rape. Yeah. Get the parade going.
1: Yeah. She's here. She'll tell you the story.
0: Yeah. Obviously, panic stations, they're, they're right on the coast. They chuck the body off a headland. It's found maybe, I want to say, seven minutes later.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's classic. (laughs) It's a bit of house logic, to be honest. Yeah, it's like it washes up, like, on the main street in Maru
0: (laughs) And then they ask his brother, like, what happened? And he's like, I'm not telling you guys anything. So, then the brother gets done for perverting justice.
1: Kobe's such a motherfucker, such a dumb (laughs) cunt.
0: Yeah. So, now this doco that was really fun. Now we're in prison. The two main guys were in prison. The-, the older brother's sort of not in-, in it as much at this point. Yeah. And then the older brother gets off after like sort of a year or something. Mm. Cost They're like spending tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And then the end of the doco, which was about all fun and surf and stuff, Jai gets off, probably cost him 200 grand. <laughs> he's a shadow of himself. Like he <laughs> comes out- Clutching. Keep in mind, this guy's been a freaking larrikin lunatic for an hour and a half. <laughs> now he comes out, he's clutching like a rosary beads. And he's like, I never gave up on my Lord and Savior. And he's like shaking. Mm. And then the guy who did nothing wrong and his brother who did even less wrong get out of prison. And they're like, and that's Marubra, baby. Party time. Yeah. And I'm just sitting on the couch going, what the fuck? And then I thought, this is a weird ending, but don't worry. Because there was one more little um, caveat, uh, the Cronulla riots. Was- <laughs> <laughs> There's about seven minutes left in the doco, <laughs> just enough time to touch on the riots, <laughs> and like, of like a hundred Lebanese guys ran down to Maroubra Beach, smashing the place up, mm. and all the Bra Boys like defended the beach. Wild
1: scenes. <laughs> and then a peace brokerage with the Lebanese community. Yeah, right? and then- Every Australian movie should end with a peace brokerage with the Lebanese community.
0: Dude, if you are pitching me an Australian <laughs> film and at the end someone doesn't broker a deal with the Lebanese, <laughs> you've lost my investment. It's-, <laughs> There's like, it's like Channel 7 reporters, like Jai Abbotton, The Abbottons are like on Channel 7 going, yeah, we just felt like the Bra boys had to step up. Uh, Firstly, because we didn't have anything to fucking do with the riots in the first place. And everyone thinks we did. And, and secondly, you know, who, who gives a shit or whatever? And then it's just like Lebanese gang leaders and the Abbott <laughs> brothers shaking heads like on Channel 9.
1: <laughs> and then Russell Crowe comes back in and he goes, ah, oh, Maroubra Beach.
0: <laughs> that old mistress. Like-
1: <laughs> the city by the sea. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then it's just cut. C- yeah. Cut to credits.
0: And I'm like, I enjoyed the shit out of that. I did not understand the narrative whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) It was just so fun. And then it was so not fun. And then it was just sort of uplifting.
1: And then it ends with I think I've watched it like a thousand times, but I do believe it ends with one of the Maruba. Um, One of the bra boys that had a little dalliance with Australian hip-hop, and it's like that 90s beat, and they're like, we're bra boys. (laughs) They're all having a little dance at a construction site wearing hoodies. Well, mate,
0: I'm glad you said that, because the other thing is, in the credits, they start listing off the most prominent bra boys, and it's basically just- Firstly, shout out John Sutton. Yeah. Who I grew up watching yeah. relentlessly at Souths. Yeah. But basically, they just l- l- uh, list off all the most notable bra boys. It's like three NRL players, three UFC fighters. <laughs> like ju- They're doing jiu-jitsu, like big wave surfers. Like, dude, these guys are literally hard as fuck.
1: Mark Matthews, he's enormous.
0: Yeah. Well, he, he like a big wave surfing, I don't even consider it a sport. I don't even know what that is. Once you get above like 20 foot- that's, like, I don't even know. That's, like, it's not surfing. It's almost, like, just uh, daredevil stuff.
1: Yeah. A builder I work with just jetted off to Nazare to You're foil kidding. Nazare. He's, like, 43, and he's, like, i got to do Nazare before before I'm too old, mate. And he's just headed off to Nazare, and it's just fucking 100 foot. It's just... Ah. Oh, I don't, I don't even
0: know. I can't relate to that at all. Oh, I don't even know. And do you know what the funniest thing is? I bet some of the big wave surfers would come up to us and be like, I don't know how you do it, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had someone where, like, their job is objectively way scarier than ours? And oh, they're like, yeah. I don't know how you do it, mate. <laughs>
1: yeah. Like, I, I just jump off cliffs for a living, mate. Yeah, dead <laughs> set, dude. Even actors. I've been on set. I couldn't, like, acting is crazy. There's just 200 people standing around being like, all right, has he got it yet? Has he got it yet? Oh, he hasn't got it yet. He fucked up his lines. Oh, has he got it yet? Oh, he's maybe got it. Cut. No, he hasn't got it. And it's just a man. It's like the most fucked up thing I've ever seen. I would blow my brains out.
0: (laughs) That's the thing. You just got to have your thing in life because- Because whatever terrifies you, someone else is doing- like-
1: Yeah, I'd, I would prefer to bomb every day of the week. Than- yeah.
0: What I'm trying to say is like everyone has their thing. Yeah. Like there's stuff that people do where I go, I just can't- Like I think the stuff where it's like physical injury. Mm. Like we're only risking emotional trauma mm. and I don't know, who cares? Who gives a shit? I'm much more scared of breaking my arm <laughs> or drowning. My hips? Yeah. Break a hip? Oh my God. Dear God. Yeah, I don't know what people get up to, dude, but-
1: What a film. It's got everything. Every great Australian film should have fights, cops, surfing, an attempted a murder, an attempted rape. These are all just- This is Australia.
0: Yeah. Dude, On like, what was the vibe in, like, the 90s and the 2000s? Like, if you were just milling around Marubra, they weren't just flogging blokes.
1: I don't think so. Yeah. It was all love, brother. It was all love? You got that from the documentary. It was was about setting yourself on fire and jumping off the cliff and all love. Yeah, it's all love, definitely. But I'm sure there would have been some pretty insane localism. Yeah, definitely. But also- There was
0: a few videos of guys in, like surfers in the car park getting the absolute- Fuck beaten out of them, <laughs> yeah. and I would love to know what they did. Yeah, big time. Did you? Oh no did Did they paddle out eleven meters to the right <laughs> of where they should have been? Yeah.
1: Like, ooh. Is it the, But people involved in like localism always like hype it up because then people don't come to their area anyway.
0: Yeah, dude. The, uh, by the way, I kind of like not get off on localism, but I do think it's pretty sick.
1: Oh. It's so unique to surfing. Yeah, it's a bit. I've never really had it pulled on me, to be honest, but anyone that's, like, super into it, I'm like, that's fucking so embarrassing.
0: I don't mind kicking, like, firstly, I'm, like, don't surf, but I reckon localism, like, kicking blokes out of the thing, threatening them, mm. hardcore, and maybe, like, pushing them. But, like, on the Bra Boys video, <laughs> mate, well, there was a couple of lads who got it real bad. <laughs> But, um, dude, when I was in Mexico in Puerto Escondido, the
1: localism there was crazy. Yeah, they're cunts there. Actually, that's the worst I've ever had it in the world. Really? Yeah. Hawaii, they're chill as bro. Really? <laughs> there's heaps of waves. I've I observed Hawaii for two weeks. It was friendlier than Sydney. Really? Dude, it was. I didn't surf Pipeline. Like I'm not, but there's like a million breaks down the beach and good reefs. I was, like, one down from Pipeline. People were being like, yo, go. Really? Like, what the fuck? You He's like, yo, I'm a primary school teacher. You're, like, having, like, sincere chats. with You go surf manly. It's a bunch of, like, bald dudes on 5'8 staring out to the sea angrily. I'm like, yeah. you guys are fucking lame.
0: Yeah, when I used to surf at manly, I never... I never felt like there was that much localism or whatever. But, like, it also, like was a lot of banter out there.
1: Exactly. <laughs> There's Hawaii. There was people bantering. Yeah, that's cool. Some ladies mixing it up. Nice. Cut through the fucking masculine vibe a little bit. Yeah. That. Well, that's like with anything, mate. Mm. You need some women in the mix. Yeah, for God's I was sake. talking
0: to Chloe Madron about this on her podcast. Shout out to the friend request. Um, she was saying, "Oh, did you go to a boys' school or whatever? Or like, would you send your kid to a?" Mixed education. What do you call it when there's girls and boys? Co-ed. Co-ed. Would you send your... And you went to a boys' school as well. Yeah, yeah. And this whole thing where it's like, yeah, boys uh, can focus more when there's no girls around. It's like...
1: (laughs) ah, I do not believe it. (laughs) Who
0: was the fucking sexually repressed weirdo who came up with that in 1943? That was definitely a priest who was trying to not fuck the year eight girls or something. Yeah, hundred. Mate, you put boys by themselves, it just turns into a zoo.
1: Oh, pecking order. It just becomes prison immediately.
0: A hundred percent, dude. Like, I saw a bloke shit in a locker once. (laughs) Are you telling me he's doing that with, like, hot women present? You need the scale of women. You need the judgment.
1: Exactly. Oh. You're just letting men just fucking absolutely go mental at each other.
0: Dude, I remember one time uh, this bloke, Ellis Wellington. This guy was just- He was a horrible bloke, really. (laughs) And we didn't even have any beef, you know. He once, uh, you know those roofs where it's like squares of like sort of fibro boards? Yeah, yeah. He once pulled out one of those squares and dropped it on my head. (laughs) Dude, it hurts so much. And like, it just, um, just unprovoked. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, mate, if there was some cheek he had a crush on two lockers down, Mm. keep in mind, we're at the lockers, Mm. which was by far one of the most violent areas. Yeah. And like full on just dropped a piece of roof Onto my head, unprovoked. Fuck. Like, and those were the days. I remember the year nine lockers at my school. They were all in a tunnel. So, like- Washing machine central. Washing machine central. One exit as well. Mm. So, if you went all the way down to get your stuff and there was a washing machine on, I mean, you're looking at potentially skipping period three. Yeah.
1: I reckon a lot less dudes would have got their dick out on the baths. Well, that's
0: and- another one. How many dicks did we have to see? <laughs> that would have been... Like, that. guys are getting their dicks out on the bus. That's a crime with girls present. Mm. So- and
1: sometimes it felt like a crime with my year seven face present. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, I remember one time... I think I told you this off the pod just the other day. But I remember one time we got to the bus stop. The bus was a nightmare. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <you> don- <laughs> I'll just say it again to you on yeah. the pod for the sake of... Of this medium. But I told Ron this the other day. One time we got to the bus stop on Monday morning and there was a full Corona sitting there from, like, the weekend. Like, just warm, you know, full Corona. One of the, like, year nine kids took the top off it and just poured it straight over this year eight kid's head. Mm. It's like, mate, you're taking a Corona, a stale Corona on the head at 13
1: before 8 a.m. And also, that's the fucked thing about those situations, the tough thing. Nearly... Any reaction, you've lost.
0: That's the thing. Now it's on you to show that you don't care.
1: You either don't care or you go so hard and you make him look like a fool, but that's so hard to do. Yeah. Bro, I once got picked up on the bus in year seven and I was like so- I Looking back at photos, I looked like I was like 10. Um, and he was like, tell me why I shouldn't fucking hook you. And I was like, don't fucking hook me. Don't hook me. Um, And he's just this big dude and he's like, Tell me why I shouldn't hook you. He's like, go up to the bus driver and do the windmill with your dick. Um, Otherwise, I'm going to hook you. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. I know in my smart little brain that that's a bad thing to do. I should not. You'll mock me even more And then he just drops me Because he was holding me up And goes He dropped nuts And everyone on the back seat of the bus Goes Drop nuts Drop nuts And at the time I was like What did you expect me to feel <laughs> Anything but drop nuts Obviously that's scary Dude It's fucking squid games Out there yeah, brother At least when like A robber robs you on the street Puts a knife to your throat Afterwards he's not like What a fucking pussy You were scared It's like Yeah I was fucking scared bro
0: <laughs> Yeah Jesus so, I do think, yeah, co-ed schools. It, I, look, I didn't go to a co-ed school. I went to a co-ed primary school. I'm just saying that, I, I mean, call in. Yeah. Call in. But I can't imagine how a co-ed school could be more aggressive than an all-boys
1: school. I th- My mum was so fucking off me going to a non-co-ed school. She was like, all of your dad's friends that went to single-sex schools, they were weird. They were weird to women. They were they were just fucking odd. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, fair enough.
0: I don't know, dude. It, I think it is a bit weird. But, it's for um, sure
1: weird. They shouldn't even exist. Well, like, I
0: think it's 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 fr- it's like a Catholic thing.
1: Well, ours, like I went to a public school. It shouldn't have been, but they just split it in the 60s because it was like there was too many people.
0: Oh, okay. Is that, did that get split into Bally
1: McKellar? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. I
1: don't know. No, no, no. No No bueno.
0: No bueno. Anyway, mate, it's probably probably enough podcasting yeah. for today.
1: We got a gig. We do. We're on the same show tonight. Nice, and it's a good one. Apparently. Shout out. Shout out. All right, latest dogs. You.